This was recorded live at Trinity Church in San Juan, Puerto Rico. For more information, go to trinitypr.org. Good morning. Um, my name is Jeff Heiser. Um, I'm one of the pastors here at Trinity. And this morning we're going to be studying our, continuing our study in the Psalms, and, and we're going to be looking specifically at Psalm 51, um, probably one of the most famous Psalms in the whole Bible. You can find the Psalm there in your worship guides, or of course in your Bibles, it's there as well, of course. Um, if you listen to the radio around 2016, you probably heard this song called Never Be Like You by the artist Flume. Can't recommend the song, but... Basically, it's the artist asking for forgiveness for something that he did. And definitely, if you're reading between the lines, the assumption is is that he was unfaithful to his significant other, whoever that is. And this is what he sings to her. He says, I'm only human, can't you see? I made made a mistake. Please just look me in my face. Tell me everything's okay. This is what he's saying. I'm only human, and humans make mistakes. Like, cut me some slack. It was a mistake. But here's my question. Does the language of mistake actually describe what's going on here? Because our modern world loves to use the word mistake or language similar to mistake to describe the things that we do wrong. And this is what mistake communicates. It communicates like, oh, it was a slip-up, an accident. I didn't even realize it was happening. Um, or he says, um, he says, I'm only human. And you know what that means? That means, um, listen, I, we all do this kind of thing. It's like mistakes are inevitable. You can't hold it against me. Is cheating like just a mistake? You know what's interesting is the whole song is, is like how the girl won't talk to him or even look at him because she's so, like, she's so hurt, right? And she knows in that moment that it's not just a mistake. She might say that same thing in a different situation, but she knows it's not just a mistake. And if it is a mistake, like, is that even what... She wants, because if it's a, just a mistake, like, is there any hope for change, or is it just like, these are the things that happen? You know, the Bible doesn't use the word mistake when it describes what's wrong with us and what's wrong with our world. Um, because it, you know, it knows that that language actually is not deep enough to describe what's wrong. The Bible uses the word sin. Now, sin is not a word that we like. But it's actually, I think, a word that we need. Because if we want to get to the heart of the issues of our world, we need language that gets to the heart of ourselves. David Brooks, the New York Times um, columnist, he says this, the word sin is now mostly used in reference to desserts. But if we want to talk about the deepest affairs of the heart, only words like sin, soul, redemption really work. If you don't use words like sin, 
you're not going to be able to accurately describe what is wrong with this world and what is wrong with us, and you're certainly not going to be able to fix it. Our passage today is about sin and repentance, specifically David's sin and repentance. And we need to listen in because the words like sin and repentance actually get to the heart of who we are as human beings and like who we're made to be. And as we lean into this passage and kind of look into the, really the darkness of our hearts, we're actually going to find in that an immense amount of hope. A whole lot more hope than, hey, I'm only human. I make mistakes. Okay, so those are going to be kind of our two um, points today, sin and repentance, sin and repentance. Um, But let's go ahead and turn to our passage this morning. Um, We're going to be in Psalm 51, and we're just going to read verses 1 through 9. Hear now the reading of God's Word. To the choir master, a psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone in to Bathsheba. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity. And in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being. You teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. This is God's good word. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of God will abide forever. May he bless it for you and for me. Amen. What is sin? What is sin? What even is it? Um, Think about it. I want to think about it like this. Have you ever felt uh, the relief of getting a mechanic recommended to you? Like, I don't go to a mechanic that's not recommended to me. Why not? Well, because if I'm going to entrust my, you know, my car to someone, I want it to be someone that I can trust. But now imagine you have a mechanic that you've gone to many times, but you find out several years later, you find out after having used this mechanic for a couple of years that your friend is getting the same work on his car, but the mechanic is only charging him half price, half as much. And you realize, hang on, I've been getting, I've been getting had. I've been spending, you know, he's been charging me way more than anyone else. Why is that so upsetting? Why is that moment so upsetting? Is it because, like, the mechanic has broken the law? Well, I mean, he's maybe broken the law, and that's certainly upsetting in some way, but why is that so upsetting? Well, it's upsetting because you understood your relationship in a certain way. You thought that you had this relationship of trust. And the mechanic, it's not that he broke the law, it's that He broke that trust. He broke that relationship with you. Well, sin 
is kind of like that. Sin breaks trust. It breaks a relationship. It breaks a relationship with a personal God. God's not just some like abstract you know, force out there. He's a personal God. And when you sin, it says, God, I actually don't care about us anymore. That doesn't matter to me. Listen to what David says in verses 3 and 4. He says, For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. And so David, he, like what he's doing is he's looking at his sin, and it's, his sin has hurt a lot of people. But he says to God, God, at the end of, my day, of the day, my sin is about you and me. See, God's not just like making some, you know, ar- some impersonal force that's making arbitrary rules just to rob you of fun or something. No, God is a personal God, and sin displeases God because it breaks God's law, certainly, but be- primarily because it actually fractures your relationship with him. You see, David knows that God created the world perfectly, and he created human beings without sin. And when Adam and Eve ate the forbidden fruit... They didn't just make like an innocent mistake. They broke the relationship of trust and intimacy that they had with God. And so David looks at his life. And and what has he done? Well, he has been sitting on his roof and seen a woman off in the distance. He's called her over to him and he slept with her even though she was married. And she gets pregnant. And David He engineers a way to get her husband killed and to make it all look like an accident. And David is saying in the psalm, he's saying, God, you created the world and me for peace, joy, intimacy with you and with others to be a life-giving force in this world. And yet I have done the opposite. I have introduced betrayal, death, deceit into your world. And you know what? I've dragged other people into it as well. I've acted as if our relationship did not matter to me. That's what's going on. That's what David's saying. When David explains sin in terms of his relationship to God, like, what is he teaching us about sin? Well, he's teaching us that sin is what we do, right? Or think, feel, or say, or that actually tears apart our relationship with the personal God. This is not just God keeping us from having fun. No, God actually wants to lead us into what's best for us. And sin says, no, God, I don't want that. I'm going to reject you and turn from your love and care for me. That's what sin is. Sin is what we do that rejects God in our relationship with him. Now, of course, we all know that we do bad things. No one's denying that. We all, you know, do things that maybe we don't expect of ourselves. We all make mistakes, right? But, where, so, but where's hope? Like, where's hope for us to stop doing that? Now, um, be, all right, hope is like this belief that, um, that there's something that can be done for this predicament that we're in where we do bad things, we do wrong things. What are some of the common solutions that people turn to to fix themselves? Well, you know, meditation, 
right? I just need to like enter this place of silence where I can, you know, empty my brain of all the negativity and come to this place of peace. Or, um, you know, we'll switch jobs, we'll move cities. Like, I just need a restart. I just need a blank slate again so I can get it together. Um, kids right after college, you know, they'll go on road trips. You know, I just need to discover myself, find the truest me so that I can live my best life. I just need some self-care, you know. Or how about this solution? Uh, this is another pop song. Um, but, like, two, this is two pop songs in the same sermon. But listen, pop songs are literally the air that we breathe. Like, they are our culture in four-minute sound bites. Like, it is important that we pay attention to pop songs, okay? So listen to this pop song that's on the radio right now um, by Demi Lovato. She says, oh, why do I compare myself to everyone? And I always have my finger on the self-destruct. I wonder when I love me is enough. This is what she's saying. I just need to love myself for who I am. This is her hope. This is her solution. I'm going to love myself enough to, be, to, to have meaning, to have validation and purpose. I just need to love me. That's her solution. And she's asking like, okay, when's this going to work? When is that enough? You know, David's going to look at all these solutions and he's, and he's going to be, say, listen, none of those are going to work. Look at verses 5 and 6. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. David's saying these solutions are not going to work because sin is not just something we do. That if like, we could get past it, if we could get over it, then we'd be fixed and the world all, all be good again. No, sin is not just something we do. Sin is who we are. Like we're sinners. Now you might say, no, 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 I'm a good person. And you and Demi Lovato can just like wait for I Love Me to work together. But the whole song is her saying, it's not working. It's not going to work. When David says, I was brought forth in iniquity, this is what he's saying. He's saying, this sin is completely in character. It's completely in character. Sin is not just a mistake. It is who we are. And David is saying, God, I need you to deliver me from the predicament of myself. Sin is not just what we do, it's who we are. Now, this is actually why it's, we really need to be a lot more suspicious of ourselves than we are. I mean, not like in some self-loathing way, but just like an honest assessment that like our whole being is corrupted. And like if anything defines our cultural moment, it is like just a lack of mercy for the other, Right? It's a lack of humility. It's a, it's a certainty that like, is ready to just beat anyone over the head with it. If there's anything that describes our cultural moment, it's the lack of mercy. But what if Christians were a little more suspicious of themselves? Like, what if we could humbly listen? What if we could humbly learn? What if we could be less dogmatically positive that we have everything figured out? 
Like, what if that actually defined public discourse? It would be a different world. But what, but what is the solution to this? What is the solution to this problem, this problem that is really deep, that's like our very, like, how can, what's the, what's, where's the hope? Right, this, the, the picture painted by this psalm is, it's incredibly dark. But David finds hope, he finds hope for this um, predicament in repentance. And this is our second point, repentance. The pastor, um, Pastor Bob Flayhart, he says, um, all Christian change starts with the admission that we are not right. And that's what's so troubling about the language of, I'm only human, I made a mistake, is that it says, if you just could understand where I'm coming from, you'd, it'd be totally excusable, I would be totally justified. It's, fine. it's not that big a deal. That, that is not Repentance. That is not repentance. Repentance starts with admitting that I am not right. There is, not an, there is no excuse for, for it. And my only hope is in your forgiveness. Look at what David says in verses 1 and 2. He says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. What does have mercy on me mean? It means I do not deserve it. My sin is not an understandable slip-up. My, my, I have broken our relationship. I have personally corrupted your world. I have loved the wrong things. Forgive me. You see, David didn't just need to admit that he was wrong. He needed the relationship to be restored. And that's what forgiveness is. Forgiveness says, I recognize that you were wrong. No excuses. But I'm going to choose not to hold it over you. And I'm going to lean back into relationship with you. Do you see how repentance fixes our first problem with sin? If sin is the things that we do that tear apart our relationship with God, forgiveness and repentance is asking God to maintain that relationship even though We have broken it. But true repentance doesn't actually just stop there. Repentance says, forgive me. But then it says, I want to change. I don't want to be the same tomorrow as I am today. Look at verses 7 through 9. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. David is saying, God, I need you to de-sin me. Right? Forgive me what I've done. I have sinned, but don't just stop there. Cleanse me. Make me different. I need you to change my very nature because if you don't, I'm going to keep doing the same thing over and over and over again. Repentance says, turn me around, head me back in the other direction that I'm going. Repentance is a solution, is ask for forgiveness for what we've done and asks for cleansing for who we are. So that, what is the answer for sin? 
What's the solution to this predicament we find ourselves? David says it's repentance, but here's the thing about repentance. It doesn't have value in and of itself. So I was listening to an interview a few months ago with a psychology professor um, from UC Davis who had done a lot of research on gratitude. And kind of the big discovery of his research was that grateful people are happier people. And so the person interviewing him asked him, "Um, yeah, but great, but who are we supposed to be grateful to? And And the professor said, well, your parents, for example. And the interviewer said, okay, yeah, I understand that, like for maybe for your education or for raising you. Um, But just like, let's say you're enjoying a beautiful day. Who are you grateful to? And the professor was like, oh, no, 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 no. It's just a grateful attitude. And the interviewer kind of insisted. He was like, no, but like, who are you thanking? And the professor didn't understand the question. But like the interviewer and everyone listening understood the question. what what, What he's exposing is that if... If you're not actually thanking anyone, it's not being grateful. Like, it's nothing. And repentance is kind of like that. It doesn't just have value in and of itself, of utmost importance. It's is who you are repenting to. Its value is based into the per, in the person to whom you are repenting. Look at verse 1 again. Have mercy on me, O God, According to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. David repents because he knows God's character to be steadfastly loving and abundantly merciful. I mean, you can only repent, like truly repent, truly admit your sins, admit the darkness of your heart, and ask for forgiveness and change if you know that God will not turn you down. If you know that God loves you. You know, a thousand years after David wrote these words, the Apostle John, um, this is actually in our New Testament reading, this is what he would say. If we confess our sins... He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Is that not just a summary of Psalm 51? Like if, you conf- if we confess our sins, right? If we repent, he is faithful and just. If we repent relying on his character and his love to forgive us for what we've done and to cleanse us, right? To make us whole again. And and the Apostle John is saying, God will do that based on God's character. And how does the Apostle John know that he will do that? Because he knows that Jesus, God sent Jesus Christ to shed his blood on the cross for that very purpose, to guarantee it for his children. That is why Jesus died, to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I want to close with just this one, this one little idea. Um, I think I've told you before um, from up here in this pulpit that I, just am, I tend to have a very guilty conscience. It's just like who I am unfortunately. <laughs> and, um, 
And, and I've been, one of the things I've been praying with Miriam, uh, my daughter, is something that I heard a pastor pray with his kids several years ago. And this is, what he, this is what I say when I'm praying with Miriam. God, thank you that you will never say, go away. It's so simple. God, thank you that you will never say, go away. And you know, as I've been praying this with Miriam, I've been finding it, it's been discipling my own heart. Like I, with my, like my guilty you know, conscience, I need to know that God will never say to me, go away. God will always forgive. He will always love. He will always lean back into relationship. He will always restore the relationship that I broke. Why? Because I, have, I and God's people have been bought by the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. Let's lean back into relationship in repentance, certainty. God will never say to us, go away. Amen. Listen, um, usually we celebrate the Lord's Supper right now. But of course, we're not going to do that because we're all at home. Hopefully, that'll end soon, next couple weeks. Um, But if you would, just take a few moments. I'm going to pray. And if you would take a few moments just to reflect on God's word and his promises to us and his love for us. Heavenly Father, um, Lord, we know how dark our hearts are and we know how badly we need your forgiveness. Lord, would you allow us just to boldly repent of our sins? Lord, Um, we know that you love us and we have nothing to fear. We have nothing to fear with admitting that we are not right because we know that you will forgive. You will always draw us back. Lord, would you do that for us this morning? In the name of your son, we pray. Amen.